Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from the unknown, is Romeo Mora. Romeo, how was the unknown? Did you find your way through the woods okay? Touch and go here and there, met some woodland creatures, and took down the beast. Well, the reason we are talking about the unknown and mythical creatures and the beast is because we're going to be talking about Over the Garden Wall. Over the Garden Wall is an American animated television miniseries created by Patrick McHale for Cartoon Network that aired in 20. 14. The series centers on two half-brothers who travel across a mysterious forest to find their way home, encountering a variety of strange and fantastical things on their journey. The show is based on McHale's animated short film, Tome of the Unknown, which was produced as part of Cartoon Network Studios' shorts development program. The series' voice cast also includes Elijah Wood, Colin Dean, Melanie Linsky, Christopher Lloyd, Tim Curry, John Cleese, and Samuel Ramey. Joining us to talk about over the garden wall returning for the second time is caitlin caitlin welcome back thanks for having me so over the garden wall the reason we came to decide to talk about this was because this kicks off our halloween spooky season of episodes that we're going to be doing for binge essentials i came up with over the garden wall because it's short it's something that i really enjoyed i know that caitlin really enjoyed and i thought that it would be a fun way to kick it off because we're heading into this Halloween season, but we're also entering into the fall season. And if there's one thing that this show seems to exude is the fall season. So what inspired us to start watching the show? Now, since this was my idea, I'm just going to say the history of this it was, a, it was about over a year ago. I was just looking for something to watch and I would just scroll through Letterbox and I would sort things by ratings uh, all time. And over the garden wall had like a 4.3 or something, something obnoxious. And I thought, wow, I never even heard of over the garden wall. So I thought, thought, well, it's only like 110 minutes long. It's very short. I thought I would see where I could find it and, and give it a watch. And I found it, started watching it. And, and I told Caitlin, hey, let's watch this together. And first, she just kind of was just sitting like how she normally does, just sitting next to me while I'm just watching whatever. And then she got sucked into it, too. And we just ended up really enjoying it. Caitlin, am I missing anything? Or does that sound pretty accurate? I had heard of it prior to this, but I didn't really know anything about it. That's pretty accurate. I was just along for the ride and then got hooked in. How did you hear about it? Some of my friends had been talking about it back when it came out and were creating art for it and things like that. So I knew roughly kind of what it was, what it centered on, but I didn't know the story. Romeo, did you hear about it? I didn't know it existed because I think at this point in my TV watching obsession, I've kind of tuned out that things that weren't quote unquote prestige. I was um was a little bit obnoxious about it because if it wasn't talked about on one of the major trades I was following at the time I didn't have time for it for me it completely flew under the radar it was a niche show that got no promotion it seemed that you really had to stumble upon in order to know that this show existed yeah that's fair to say I mean the way it premiered was not the usual weekly release if I'm not mistaken I think it was like a daily episode release. Yeah, it's on five consecutive nights on Cartoon Network. It came and went so fast. And originally, it was kind of tricky because Cartoon Network, they wanted Mikhail to create first of all, Mikhail was pitching like a three season series that sort of fell through. He went to go work on Adventure Time for a bit. And then he came back to meetings with Cartoon Network and they ultimately said, okay, make Tome of the 
unknown. And then after that, they were able to work together and figure out, okay, let's make this a mini series. So yeah, this has been in development for quite a few years before it even aired, Uh before even the special aired leading into uh, Over the Garden Wall. I mean, I'm glad it finally got made, but I think you're right, Romeo, in the sense that because it came and went the way it did, it was hard to sort of get huge promotion underneath it and get people excited to watch it. And I'm not going to say it's unfortunate because it has garnered quite the following since it it Uh is there is a level of popularity behind this series and that continues to grow now over time. And the way it sounds, it was kind of like a favor because he's been working consecutively for them on popular series. Like he was a writer and storyboard artist for The Marvelous Adventures of Flapjack and of course Adventure Times. Yeah, so it seems like he's like here, quid pro quo type of situation. Yeah, you're doing all these things for us. Now we want to do something for you, which isn't the first time we've come across something like this on the podcast. That happens in the business all the time. So now moving on to the pilot, or I guess you can call it uh, the first episode, not really a pilot since it's a miniseries. What was it about that first episode that got you hooked? Caitlin, we'll start things off with you. What was it about that first episode that you really enjoyed? If you know anything about me, you know that I love autumn and Halloween and all of the spooky things. I just felt like it was really charming and had all of the colors that really drew my attention in. And it had this unique old timey feel that you don't really see in cartoons nowadays that made me think, okay, where is this going? What's going to happen to these characters? Even though I didn't necessarily like all the characters, it was just something that it made me want to see more and see just how enveloped in the Halloween and autumn and yeah no i understand what you're saying there about the old-timey feeling because it does invoke that like 19th century 20th century americana it even opens with the frog playing the piano and singing that beautiful theme song being sung by um jack jones it just really sets the mood and it's something that's unique i feel like most cartoons nowadays are all about being flashy and loud and kind of obnoxious and this one's a little bit more muted and moody and calls from the past and it was just something that I'm like oh this isn't shouting in my face it's just grabbing my attention yeah very good point there Romeo what about you just to like reiterate what Caitlin said I mean what drew me was like the style because there was like a heavy influence of the art style from classic children's books and vintage sort of like Halloween art that you saw either at the turn of the century or even like 1950s even though like the animation style is something that I think most people are used to because it, it is a distinct animation style that you see all over Contour Network. However, the way it was presented and the way the story unfolded kind of reminded me, especially with that opening with, with the frog playing the piano. Do you like those classic um, Looney Tune cartoons that they used to play in the theaters back in the olden days? And I say the olden days was like probably like the 1930s and 40s. Yeah. Or those classic Mickey cartoons, which got their start they were literally played before actual motion picture releases i'm like that's what drew me to it that sort of feeling because you're right it isn't the typical like loud obnoxious sort of attention grabbers i think that animation has now sort of fallen trapped to because let's be honest here kids today and most people don't have the attention span like they used to 
And this was sort of a treat. The pacing is a little bit slower, but you don't lose your attention because it's actually even wittier than what you would find on most Cartoon Network shows. Yeah, and I think a lot of this has to do, almost feels like it fits with Patrick McHale's personality. If you watch him in interviews, he looks like a uh, English college undergraduate with his windbreaker jacket. And he's, <laughs> and, a he's a what? hipster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. He's a straight up hipster, but he's very reserved. You know, you watch him in interviews and he's almost surprised of the questions people ask about the show like he's almost not even prepared to even be ready to answer them <laughs> you know what I mean like he, he just seems very uh, I don't want to say awkward just very um, private like he's not used to having the attention on him I guess you could say because right. you know he, he does work behind the scenes all the time and to be honest when you're writing something like you think you're putting out something that okay, here's my clear message here are the clear themes I want to present you kind of sort of think that well yeah I'm putting it out there but no one else is going to really find any thing of value like as writers we think that people take us place value we feel like no one w- would care enough to read deeper into the work we put out there like i had an experience where people ask me questions about stuff i wrote in college um when i wrote plays and it's like oh did you mean to do this this and this and this and i'm like sure <laughs> <laughs> if you saw that you're entitled to that opinion so yes it's one of those things that just surprises you you're never prepared for it in a million years you never think that someone would care enough. You're just happy that it got made in the first place. And I think most writers feel that way especially something as small of a project like this. We're just happy it got made and people saw it. So anything that comes after it is just a bonus. So yeah, I'm not surprised by his sort of shock that people had a deeper reading because who would have thought anyone would care enough to actually sit there and sort of go line by line on something you you wrote. And we talk about how there's the muted colors and the fall season and everything. And then we get to the part of this first episode, which is called the old grist mill where there's this creature that Greg encounters and it has the big colorful eyes and I just thought that that was a really cool visual so even though it was going to have like these muted colored moments it was still going to have some form of vibrant color in spots here and there that creature kind of freaked me out when I first saw it I don't know about you guys (laughs) okay Kaylin I gotta ask if you saw that dog would you help it (laughs) as a pronounced animal lover would you help I would probably run away from it terrified. That was really unexpected. When I saw it, my first thought was to laugh because the eyes are just so ridiculous and huge and goofy. But then once it started like growling and opening its mouth and everything, I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Like This yeah. would have <laughs> given me nightmares as a child. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like how they could be really scary and intimidating, but something about the style and the way that it's drawn. It's like, yes, this is scary, but it's also kind of funny and I could laugh at it. It does sort of subvert your expectations. Like, I think it was the second or third episode where they meet this... I'm going to call it the cult because it's a freaking cult with the pumpkins. <laughs> right. Oh, I love that episode. <laughs> yeah, where you're thinking like, okay, human sacrifice time. Like, nope, they were digging up the dead folks so they can be reanimated with pumpkins. I'm like, cool. <laughs> that is actually the point where I decided I was in it for the long haul. Me Even too. though I was going to watch the whole thing, that's my favorite episode. Yeah, I love it to death. Too, that's my I'm favorite. Like, I can get down with this. I will 
say like there are pitches for other creatures that didn't make it in that I'm loving, like a skinless witch and a villain who carves dice out of the bones of kidnapped children. Ooh. Oh god. I need a second season. Well, we'll talk about it later, but there are comics. Yeah, I don't know if, if any of that made it in, but I'll have to look into that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> so the episode we're talking about is Hard Times at the Huskin B, where Wirt, Gregory, and Beatrice make it to Pottsfield, where everyone appears to be dressed in pumpkin outfits. And later on, we learn that there's actually skeletons underneath those pumpkin outfits. And it was just such a spooky episode throughout because at one point Wirt thinks they're digging their own graves and <laughs> it's just there's all these layers of spookiness it's just awesome because you have to remind yourself oh yeah this is for kids <laughs> but there is like some really intense elements to this episode before we move on let's not forget that at the very very end of this garden wall series the master pumpkin of it all was actually a cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're expecting the big bad to be this enormous skeleton or maybe a demon or something and it's just a little black cat that pops yeah. out the top okay so let's go ahead and get to some of these characters here so we might as well start out with Wirt. right away you kind of learn that he's kind of a scaredy cat a little bit he likes poetry um you learn that real quick he longs for his lost love named sarah who at the time we just what was your impression of who sarah was I thought Sarah was like some girl that died or something like right. that. And he was like heartbroken over it. <laughs> what do you guys think who Sarah was to him? Because from what we know at the beginning, I mean, really, who'd you think Wirt and Greg were? I thought they were just two brothers from a small village or something who wandered out into the forest to do something for dad or I don't know, something like that. And they on just got lost. Yeah, yeah. Or somewhere. And they, and they just got lost on their way back or something. That was who I was thinking game because the way they're dressed I thought oh it's a cartoon you know sometimes you dress cartoon characters a little strange uh, I never thought Halloween costumes so where was your mind at when you first meet these two characters I thought that this whole world was taking place way back in time some sort of fantasy world and I had no idea that it was modern day and that it was Halloween costumes involved and I thought Sarah was some girl that either died or moved far away and like a long lost love of his because he's just so dramatic and angsty about it so <laughs> <laughs> to learn that she's you know someone that he goes to school with is like uh, you're kind of laying it on thick there I thought it was just them making fun of the time period because they had many jokes about how nothing's ever Gregory's fault because Wart's the oldest <laughs> therefore it's his responsibility to keep an eye on him it's like classic grim fairy tales and I loved it at first I thought that was a dumb cap he was wearing the entire time. <laughs> I, I could have sworn there was a joke about that at one point. Yeah, there he was. did have to sit in the dunce seat in that classroom episode, yeah. So, and then of course, the tea kettle on Gregory's head. I'm like, sure, why not? Because Gregory's not the brightest. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It was a pleasant surprise that it was basically a death fever dream. 
Little did we know, it was like Wart dying. <laughs> and this is his dream. Yeah, really. This is Wart's adventure. This is Wart's opportunity to become more brave. And Beatrice even says, it's like, sounds like you're kind of a loser back home, but you're actually a hero here. And even he is like, really? You think so? I'm like a hero? You know, and like through these experiences, when he does wake up from his near-death experience, he is able to talk to Sarah and say, hey, how about you just come over and we can listen to some tapes leading up to the tape that I made for you. <laughs> Let's not listen to For Sarah right away. <laughs> right. I need to emphasize that this dream is happening while he's drowning. <laughs> this is how dark this is. I don't want this to get lost on our listeners. <laughs> or was it a dream? Yeah. yeah, I'm on the side that it was all real. When you think about the beast, I think of the beast as the devil. Like, what is the unknown? The way I read the beast is he's death. You can try to outrun death. You can try to beat death. Because everything has to do with souls. So either he's death or maybe a modern version, different take on the Greek god. But he's the one who ferries souls through the afterlife. A reaper character. He would like harvest souls and create energy from them to keep his his own soul alive sort of thing. In the Greek myth is when you board the ferryman's boat, your loved ones are supposed to put a fee for the ferryman. If you didn't have the fee, depending on the, the interpretation, he either throws you into the river sticks to become part of the river or you become nothing. You don't get to go to where you're supposed to go in the afterlife. Yeah, I, I love the design of that character. I think it's great. And then when we see the reveal in the series finale, with all the the faces covering the body the faces of the children that i'm guessing is you know it's, it's basically of the trees as we come to learn the trees have the souls of children it happens so quickly like really you have to pause it just so that you can get the full scope of it which now you can just google it of course but it's just spooky like that would make a great halloween costume <laughs> out of all the costumes that you can come up with from this show that one i think would be the most badass so i like work I like Greg. I think he's kind of funny. He's very optimistic. And he's also, yeah, like Romeo said, not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I think it's just, you know, he's just so young and naive and positive that he just doesn't understand like the full scope and danger that he's in. When it comes to Beatrice, I was kind of back and forth on Beatrice because she's very pushy. She's very mean. Then she got to the point as they were getting closer to Adelaide, she started to be like, actually, you know what? Let's not do this. And, you know, she's hiding something. So I get that as part of the story. But I just thought she was like too mean to work why is she being so mean to work i mean i know he's kind of a, a wimp and uh over dramatic sometimes but she laid on the insults a little thick when it came towards work i didn't really catch on that it was happening until the classroom episode and then it was like wow she's suddenly just calling him basically spineless and doesn't have a brain and i'm like where did this come from this is so <laughs> mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> In the short film, the character is actually voiced by Natasha Leggero. I think it's a good choice that they switched the actors, which I don't know if it was a availability thing that Natasha Leggero wasn't available. With Molly um, Lansky, I feel like it is sort of like that weird trial by file friendship because they've been through so much. Like buddy cop sort of chemistry. But I felt like it was more um, Beatrice against Wart than it was Wart towards Beatrice. Yeah, there wasn't like a back and forth 
forth banter per se. It was more like one's just being extra mean to the other one. It just happened so fast. Like it was episode three and, and you understand why. I mean, there's only 10 episodes. Sometimes when you're on to the next episode, something happened that led them to the point that there are now when they arrive at the ferry. Like they're already on the ferry, but you think to yourself, obviously there was something that happened before they got onto the ferry, but we didn't get a chance to explore it, which is kind of a um, positive about the show, in my opinion, because it's just basically saying like you wanted more content than what you got because the show is just so well made and so enjoyable. But Beatrice, yeah, she has a lot on the line. She turned her whole family into bluebirds and she has to appease Adelaide by bringing servants to her so that she can get those clippers and clip the wings and turn her family back into humans. I mean, she she's willing to do almost whatever it takes, like steal from the tea company, man. That was another episode that I really enjoyed because, again, it has like those spooky elements is playing with the yeah. idea of ghosts and also just the absurdity of it, where it's like, I'm so rich that I built a mansion so huge that there's parts of it that I don't even remember even building. <laughs> it comes to find out that he didn't actually build it. It's just a totally different mansion. <laughs> I thought that was really funny and really charming episode. We're not haunted. We're just living next door to our competitors. I'm like, oh my God. I really fell in love, but they're still going to compete for business. I kind of liked that because it showed how out of touch wealthy people can be. (laughs) (laughs) I buy it. (laughs) Which Marguerite Gray's voice by B.B. Newworth, who is Lilith from Fraser and Cheers. I found that out when I was looking things up. I was like, oh my God, that was her. That's so crazy. John Cleese, you recognize him right away. (laughs) So we meet the woodsman in the first episode voiced by Christopher Lloyd. You learn, obviously, uh, same thing. Like, he's very dramatic and he's warning the kids, like, beware of the beast, always having the lantern on him. And there was at one point where we may have thought that he himself was the beast. And we didn't know why he was chopping the wood trees. And that's how we were able to say, like, oh, it's possible that he was the beast as well. What were your impressions of the woodsman at first? Did you at any point were convinced that possibly he could be the beast? I didn't think he was the beast just because he was so helpful when they first met him. He just kind of gives off this feeling of sympathy, like you kind of feel sorry for him. When you hear the name beast, you picture an actual beast, not a old man who chops Mm -hmm. down trees. So I'm like, for how fantastical the show is, this can't be the beast. Yeah, I never got that impression either. It would have been a nice twist that him and the beast were more connected than, than they ended up being. He is this sympathetic character, and the more you learn about his story, you feel for him. He's always protected the boys every time they've come across to each, they cross paths. However, from a writer's standpoint, it would have been nice. It could also be predictable, too, that the woodsman ended up being the beast if they did go that route. But no, that never came across. Yeah, when you find out how the woodsman's been chopping these trees, and now they have these children's souls, and, and he's just like, I didn't know if I knew I would have been a- I wouldn't even have done it and how he's been doing this for years as well. It's not like, oh, he's just been doing this for like a couple months. It's been a long time Uh that he's been doing this, which means it's been a long time since he's seen his daughter. So, yeah, it's a really tragic story when you finally learn about the whole thing. And and I like how we learn about it instead of getting like a backstory episode or a flashback or something like that. It's all revealed through discussions between him and the Beast. 
I just thought that was a really good way to unfold that. It made it more dramatic. It just had a better payoff to it, I think. Anyway, so there are a lot of different supporting characters throughout the show, and obviously we're not going to run through every single one, so I think it's just better to point out some of our favorites. One of my favorites is Auntie Whispers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how huge she is and like the big eyes, and, and you think like she's the villain at first and that she's going to eat the children, and then you come to find out that no, she's actually trying to protect Lorna because Lorna transforms into like this big monster, and she's voiced by the great Tim Curry. I just like how she's sounding like, oh, I'm Monty Whispers. Lorna, you're done sweeping the floors. <laughs> I just love the voice performance for that character. Caitlin, um, do you have any favorites from these supporting characters? I really like the Highwayman. He just has a little song in the cantina. Yeah, you can call it a cantina. Yeah, he just has a little song in the cantina, but it sticks with you. And it's one of those songs among the many in the show that gets stuck in your head. I like all of the pumpkin people. <laughs> that whole <laughs> You got like the old man pumpkin. They're all distinct. Yeah, they're all very different. It's like a copy paste, like Romeo was saying, copy paste back to those really old timey Mm -hmm. Halloween decorations. I just thought that whole episode was a very cool experience to watch. Like I mentioned earlier, actually, I like Quincy Endicott, who owns the tea company. Just like how he was like a big Freddy cat. But also talked about how he saw this ghost. It was like the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life. It's just something like funny and romantic about that. Yeah, the highwayman, like Caitlin said, is such a short moment in the episode. And he just kind of like barges into the conversation. He's like, I'm the highwayman. <laughs> We're just like, oh, okay. Another character that <laughs> I like is Jason Thunderberger. <laughs> <laughs> because okay. the oh, way ahead. that Wirt talks about him, this everything that he's not and this charismatic guy that just is so much better than him, you're picturing something that's a complete opposite of what Jason Thunderburger turns out to be. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Like, I, I thought the same thing when he was first described. I really thought it was like this cool, suave, maybe not like a jock, but just someone who's more charming and braver than Wirt would ever be. And But it turns out he's just like this short, nasally sounding right. <laughs> dork. <laughs> hey, Sarah. <laughs> oh, hey, work. <laughs> and, and remember, never forget, Gregory named the frog Jason Funderburger, but spelt with a U, not with an E. Romeo, what do you imagine Jason Funderburger to be? I honestly expected a douche. That one popular kid that's popular because for was one moment of time, he grew into himself and no one else did that's what i pictured because we all knew that one person but what i got was so much better i liked miss langtree the school teacher in the episode school town follies A's for the apple that he gave to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's teaching at first and she's goes off on a tangent about the man who left her and sings this song it's just like what what this took a turn <laughs> i like how beatrice said wow this woman's got some baggage yeah <laughs> 
that whole episode is just totally silly, you know, teaching animals how to read and write. And then you see them playing instruments later in the song. And then you have the iconic tune that has been stuck in Caitlin's head all week, Potatoes and Molasses. I can't get it out of my head. First of all, the soundtrack is great. That's certainly one of the high points of the series. We might as well transition to the high points. I love the soundtrack. I talked about how the opening theme song is just so beautifully sung and it just kind of sets you in the mood to be ready for the fall season. And you know, I'm not really like a fall season type of person. I'm more of like a shorts and t-shirt kind of guy. So I like the summer. I'm just a California kid, I guess, in that way. I just enjoy the heat to some extent. But when it comes to that opening theme and the song and setting me into that mood, it also takes me back to the classic anime cartoons that I love to watch growing up, like Lupin the Third, or even some of the older Studio Ghibli films like Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. There's something about that animation that just like relaxes me. And it was the same thing with Over the Garden Wall. It's something how this is like a beautiful painting that you're watching almost, right? Doing that 19th, 20th century Americana feel. And there's just something overall very relaxing about it. And I just kind of pair the two. Potatoes and Molasses is a real banger. It gets stuck in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there's a lot of other like beautifully made songs, that's the one. It's the simplest song out of all of them. That's the one that like really gets into you and stays with you. Romeo, were the songs a standout to you? Is there one that got stuck in your head at all? The one on the riverboat. The one that the frogs are singing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Parade, I think. So it might be called Half Moon River. He does sing Over the Garden Wall as well. That was a nice surprise too, just seeing the frog just like stand up and start singing. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And we're uh, another uh, bravery milestone attempting to play the bassoon and finding out that he's actually pretty good at it, which I think is a good lesson. Sometimes you think you're not going to be good at something, but if you give it a try, you might find out, hey, you're actually pretty good at that thing. It's a good little lesson for kids to pick up on. Another high point for me, I would say, like I talked about the Beast, I love the design of the Beast. I thought it was really great. I loved every single episode. There was only one episode that I didn't really feel, and that's the one when Greg went off into that like dream space cloud city. Yeah, that was my least favorite as well. Yeah, that one I feel like I could skip if I were rewatching it because I know where it's going to lead to. You find out by the end of the episode, it's basically the Beast luring Greg into the forest on his own so that he can manipulate him. But Romeo, do you have any other high points? The school. It was just so stupid, but plausible. And then the gorilla ended up being Miss Langtree's missing fiance, Jimmy. I'm like, yeah. damn it. Greg is talking with the raccoon and the possum and the deer. <laughs> He's just like, you guys want to play old cats or something? <laughs> Jeez. Caitlin, do you have any other high points that we haven't touched on? It's a smaller thing. Going back to the Cantina episode, I really liked the animation of the man who was singing and the he was sort of like stretching out towards the camera and then yeah the highway man i know i've talked about him already but i just think that animation of him sort of like how the camera was moving around it it really reminded me of like those old mickey mouse cartoons i thought that was just a cool animation they only did it that one time but it was nice yeah, to see i did notice that too and i wonder if they would do it again later in the episode but that was the only time it's so crazy because yeah you have talked about it multiple times now but there is just something about that character in that scene that really stays with you and his song and his song is so dark that you're like where's his spinoff episode 
<laughs> I want to see the highwayman make ends meet. <laughs> <laughs> and another high point is the reveal that we find out that these are modern day children. I like that a lot. I did not expect it. And when you watch it again, you start to pick up on the clues of how these are modern day children. But when you finally get to that episode and you learn this, you're like, oh, okay. And I also enjoyed that it almost did that thing that I hate where it was like it was all just a dream, right? And we did talk about earlier, Romeo, you said that it's like a fever dream, which you're right. It's like a near-death experience, fever dream type of situation here. But we do learn that this place is real. That is a high point for me. I'm glad that they did said, you know, this place is real. Everybody is going to live happily ever after. This place is still going to exist. And I'm happy for that because, again, if it wasn't real, I would have been pretty mad. <laughs> by the end of this series. I don't know about you guys, but I would have. Yeah, because the journey, it felt like we were watching Wirt grow a lot. And you meet so many characters along the way. And something that I didn't mention, I really like how never once did the characters say, well, how is this frog talking? And how are these pumpkins moving? It's just, you just accept the magic and accept the world to build such a intriguing fantasy world. And then just to say, oh, it was some drowning fever dream. It, it just feels a little cheap. So I like that they added a little bit more mystery to it. And even going and showing uh, Beatrice being human again with her family members. And you see the lantern guy with his daughter again, like they close those loose ends, make it feel like, oh, yeah, this did actually happen. What is the one episode you guys would show someone to get them interested? You could show them the special Tome of the Unknown. But I would just show them my favorite episode. I would show them Hard Times at the Huskin Bee because those pumpkins, man, they stay with you. There's something about pumpkin heads and pumpkin bodies. <laughs> it, just, it just stays with you. And it, it really was to me the strongest episode of the bunch of their journey. And I would absolutely show people that episode first. I want to get them hooked right away. And that's the one I want to show them. I don't, what about you guys? That is the one for me. Same. It has everything you're expecting from an autonomous based series. You've got the pumpkins, you've got the corn, you've got festivities going on, and then the big skeleton reveal is just <laughs> it has everything that I would want from a spooky series. Yeah, and cults are also very spooky. Yeah. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, and digging your own grave. The idea of digging your own grave is really scary. Moving skeletons. Yeah, there's just so many things in that episode that just work. Were there moments you started to have your doubts? I would say no for me just going back to that episode that I really didn't enjoy all that much which was Babes in the Wood was my uh -huh. least favorite episode very early on I was really turned off by Greg I just thought he was nonsense and <laughs> I like goofy things but he was just a little bit too far out there for me and I found myself annoyed with him like oh god is we have to follow this ridiculous character through the series I don't know if I could stand him but then I think having Wirt there really helped balance it out. And It and is. And I think what helps sells it is the scene where they're both walking and Greg says to Wirt, haven't you been listening to me to the last two hours? I've been saying. <laughs> and then Wirt's like, OK, I'm going to walk 10 feet ahead of you now. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we all experienced that at one point in our lives. If it was the Greg show, I would have hated it. I think yeah. that's why we don't like the episode where he goes into his own dream world and basically has his own episode. It's just too much nonsense. And the colors and the whole feel of it is so much different than the rest of the series. So I agree. It's like we start getting into Adventure Time territory where it's like, yeah. I don't want to be in Adventure Time. I want to be in Over the Garden Wall. Yeah. Well, how should you watch Over the Garden Wall? Binge it all? Pace yourself? I think it's the perfect series to marathon around Halloween time. Get all your friends together. Have it on in the background or just actively watch it. The episodes are so short you can get through it a little over an hour have fun with it yeah i don't think there's any harm in watching it all in one sitting i think it's really just that type of show is so short and you can enjoy it when we watched it last week caitlin we paced ourselves we watched three a night three three and then four is what we did each day just so that we can give ourselves time to just kind of sit on it and think about it so that we can have a better discussion for the podcast that's a good suggestion like when you have some friends over during halloween time just like carving pumpkins with friends or something you can just have it on and enjoy it for what it is because it's really that show like we talked about earlier just really helps set the mood for the fall season and for the halloween season yeah you can watch it all the way through and it's actually one of those things that you can have fun watching with friends yeah and i think if you have older kids it would be a fun thing to like lead up to halloween maybe you watch an episode a night and kind of like a countdown towards halloween just to get everyone in the spirit of things i think that would be a good idea too do you need other material to enrich the show's viewing experience? Now, we did talk about the special. I do recommend watching it because it still has the same vibes as the miniseries. It's a nice little special, which is called Tome of the Unknown harvest melody there are also over the garden wall comics so at first it was a one-shot comic book adaptation of the show and it was supervised by mikhail and it was produced as a oversized special it was illustrated by jim campbell who was a writer storyboard artist for the television series it was pretty successful so the standalone comic led to future issues being commissioned in may 2015 and then it started to be released in august 2015 so according to patrick mikhail the comic books would be Similar to the one-shot comic, detailing the events that occurred in between certain episodes that would expand on the television miniseries. Because of the success of the one-shots led to the ongoing series of the comics serving as both a sequel and a prequel to the series, rather than telling adventures that happened between episodes, the stories are told parallel with half of the comic detailing Greg returning to the mysterious dreamlands in his sleep, and the other half chronicles the woodsman's daughter, Anna, and how she became lost in the unknown. So after the ongoing series ended in 2017, Over the Garden Wall comics continued as a series of miniseries and original graphic novels. Yeah, if you want more of this world, that's your outlet. I've read some of them, and yeah, they're neat. I don't know if I'll go back and read all of them, but again, yeah, if you really love this world, yeah, that's your best outlet. If you want to go on YouTube and listen to the mixtape that Wirt made for Sarah, that is there. It's about 22 minutes long, and it is very much as advertised. He's playing the clarinet and he's reading poetry. <laughs> I do not recommend it. <laughs> Damn. I found it very grating and like nails on a chalkboard to listen to. It's exactly what you expect a teenager <laughs> to make. Yeah, a, teen a teenager that thinks they're deep and more wise than they are. 
It's too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin would not be charmed by words. Let's put it that way, I guess. No, I wouldn't. Would you want a reboot or a continuation series? I gave this question some thought, and I would not want a reboot or a continuation series, but I think Cartoon Network sometimes does Halloween specials or Christmas specials. I think it would be the perfect show for a Halloween special of some kind, but something encapsulated, something that stands on its own, not not another series of episodes. I want another season. I want to see the villain with the bones. I want those cursed images to live on in infamy. I would be open to a live action film or maybe a live action mini series because I was thinking the way they travel through the locations it might not be the best for a film you you would have to do a lot of rewriting you might have to cut out some things altogether but um I would be open to a live action version of this maybe even started out with them in the modern time leading into over the over the garden wall uh, I don't know how I would want to work this but somehow I would want Elijah wanted it somewhere right <laughs> but he'll Just be like, too old to play like the character in, in, in live well, action. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He could be like a stepdad. Like we know there's a stepdad in the picture, right? No. So maybe he could be the dad. He's too baby-faced to play a parent. But he's I like wanna... 40 years old. I know, <laughs> I know, but still. He doesn't have to be the dad. Maybe he can be the, the tea company owner. He can fit that oh, role, right? Work. Yeah. Work. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie uh, Linsky can be the other tea company owner. Or Elisha has those huge blue eyes he could be that scary dog in the beginning that we talked about (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't the beast it was elijah wood all along (laughs) and he would have got away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids yeah I mean, of course, I'd be open to anything they'd want to do if Patrick McHale is at the helm of it and he has a good idea. But if we're going to do like some sellout version that everyone's going to get pissed about, let's live action this baby. I think it's kind of cool that all three of us have are saying yes, but we all have different ideas of what we're interested in. I like all three of them. We're uh, towards the end of the run here. So briefly discuss who can enjoy over the garden wall. I think this is the type of show that really sets the mood. I think there's just something really special and inviting about it. Families can certainly gather and and watch this friends can gather and watch this you can just watch it on your own if you want because of the music you can just have it on in the background you can just have the soundtrack playing if you want there are so many things to this series that are just there to enjoy and i'm just glad that we did it for the podcast because when this episode is released it's going to be very close to the start of fall and i just thought it was a really good opportunity to kick off this halloween season when I first watched it, I liked it. But then rewatching it, I realized how much I'm in love with it and how much I look forward to showing this to my future child. And I hope that she likes it, because if she doesn't, then we're going to have to have a talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> it gets you excited for the things that you love. And even though I said earlier, I'm more of a summer guy. There are moments of the fall that I enjoy. I I love Thanksgiving. And so the pumpkins are still part of Thanksgiving and the, the leaves are still part of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So all of that reminds me of that where it reminds Caitlin of Halloween. It reminds me of Thanksgiving. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone to be honest. I just think it's that good. It's going to inspire people that are into
to the world of animation, people who have a taste for older, more vintage music and who appreciate stories from a different time. It's a silly cartoon in many ways, but in many ways it's much more grown up for what it's presented as because you think, oh, someone who worked on Adventure Time is working on this cartoon about kids lost in the forest and it's really deeper than that. It's not as spontaneous and as random as Adventure Time. I just think it's something that if you enjoy animation, you will enjoy this because there are so many different styles and uh, forms of animation that they don't really use anymore. That was more common back in the old Mickey Mouse days. There's a nostalgia to it that reminds you of your own experiences growing up during, you know, Halloween or the holidays. And I just think it's something that if you're looking to watch a feel-good kind of holiday series, I think it's a good watch for those reasons. Yeah, definitely. Especially with seeing the cassette player, that does take me back to me as a kid. I was one of those kids who would try to record things on the radio, try to get the song just right. That's 100% nostalgia coming into play there. This is a good traditional thing you can add to your rotation, along with the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, um, Number Before Christmas. If you love those Halloween classes, you can easily fit this one into. If you're a fan of Halloween and you don't like this and there's something wrong with you, turn in your Halloween card because there's something not right about you. It's just a fun little spooky time. It's not like horror inducing like most of the Halloween stuff that's being aimed at people who love this holiday. It's something you can actually sort of enjoy with your middle schoolers because rarely there is something in the middle. Either it's too childish is aimed at the really, really younger crowd like your um, Hotel Transylvania or it's too mature like horror movies. I feel like this is a good in between. Like if you're a parent and you're looking for something that's a little bit more mature to watch with your kids that are in that middle school range, this would actually be a good thing to watch with them. And I think it helps having the two main characters as like a gauge of who can watch this. Okay, so now we're going to make some suggestions for similar shows or franchises that viewers might also enjoy. One that I watched this morning just to make sure if it would be a good recommendation is called Infinity Train. It's about various people who find themselves on a mysterious train with an endless number of cars, each one being its own universe, and they must find a way to get home. It's basically an anthology series, even though I read that some characters from previous seasons make appearances in other seasons. But the first season follows a 12-year-old girl named Tulip and her two-in-one robot companion called One One and Corgi Atticus in their journey through a seemingly infinite train with limitless possibilities, traveling through a completely barren wasteland. And that first episode is pretty fun and it has its own charms and it does share some similarities in the fact of someone who is lost and trying to find their way back home and is encountering all these weird things. It's obviously a lot more modern than Over the Garden Wall, but it's still a lot of fun and I think it's a good recommendation that if you're done with Over the Garden Wall and you want to watch something animated that has some similarities enough to get you going, it's Infinity Train. Caitlin, I think you'd like Infinity Train. I think I would too. Sounds right up my alley. There's a lot of obvious ones too, like Adventure Time, regular show, shows like that. But I think we've pointed out some interesting things throughout the show where it was like the old Mickey Mouse cartoons. Those might be worth checking out. Romeo, I think you mentioned something of the older cartoons, did you? Oh, uh, Looney Tunes, right? Yeah, the Looney Tunes. Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. 
and Popeye. Is it a reminiscent of a lot of that stuff there? Treehouse of Horror. Those are really fun to watch from The Simpsons. The Boss Burgers Halloween yeah. episodes have been turning out to be really good and really something to look forward to every year. <laughs> yeah, so make a playlist of those to watch. One off-the-wall recommendation I'm going to make is called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. It's a movie that was on Netflix, and it stars Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood, who are voices from Over the Garden Wall. So it's about, after being burglarized, a depressed woman, who's played by Melanie Linsky, and her obnoxious neighbor, played by Elijah Wood set out to find the thieves, but they soon find themselves up against a group of dangerous criminals. And I know it's a totally random recommendation, and I'm just using this because, again, it's, it's pretty rare when you find two actors who are part of a voice cast who you don't think have any other connection, but here is this random connection of the two of them working together. And they're so good in the movie, and it's a fun movie. Yeah, I just wanted to recommend it. I think we did it. I think we talked about Over the Garden Wall. Yay! Caitlin, thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. No problem. We'll see what I can drag you onto in the future. So, listeners, stay tuned for our final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. Happy fall season. Like I mentioned in the episode, it's part of the reason why I wanted to do this because it's sort of like an entry into the season that we're going to be getting into, the fall season, the spooky season. I'm really glad we were able to do this, and I'm glad that Caitlin was able to join us again. Romeo, you did seem to enjoy the show. I knew you would enjoy it, but you did enjoy a lot more aspects to it than I expected. It's an interesting show. I kind of like that it was self-contained, that it was a nice little short miniseries. Granted, there are some aspects that I wish made it into the cartoon. Yeah, and speaking of those concepts, I did some research to see if they were in the comics. They are not in the comics. No skinless witch. Someone made dice out of children's bones. I'm like, yes, I want all of that. Maybe in some sort of uh, continuation series that we'll get down the road, hopefully. Well, other things we talked about that we just want to get some clarification on. I mentioned that Over the Garden Wall's letterbox rating was somewhere in the fours. I think I said like 4.3. I mentioned it because it was just something of how I discovered the show. It has a 4.6 out of 5, which is actually quite high. I'm personally not that big of a fan of miniseries being on letterbox because sometimes those miniseries turn into... But, you know, it is what it is. Letterbox can do whatever they want. I mean, they're including pornography films now so <laughs> really? the staff has curated a large list of pornography films to be on letterbox but it's an optional setting to have it show on your letterbox i'm sorry if we're gonna include pornography i'm gonna want some tv shows on my letterbox because i've been <laughs> searching high and low for a decent version for tv shows and maybe that's the next step for them really how many stars would you give over the garden wall on letterbox i think a solid four i don't actually actually rate miniseries. I just mark that I watch them on Letterboxd. But if I had to rate it, I would give it a four and a half because of that one particular episode that we mentioned several times. I just wasn't a fan of it. And it does knock it down a half star for me. <laughs> but four and a half is a great score for me. So during the discussion, Caitlin talked about in episode four, Songs of the Dark Lantern, how Wirt and Greg visit a cantina, but they're actually visiting a tavern. She just couldn't think of the word tavern. So she just rolled with cantina because she has Star Wars brain sometimes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yes. We asked Romeo what his favorite song was. He couldn't quite remember the name of it. He knew exactly when the scene and what episode and all that, but just couldn't think of the name. And it's actually the Over the Garden Wall theme song. And that's it. That's everything that we needed some clarification on. I think it's time to close the book on Over the Garden Wall for now and move on. Okay, it's that time of year again when I want to ask you guys if you could go on Apple Podcasts and rate us, give us five stars, maybe drop a review to really help with the algorithms to help this podcast get more listens. We know you guys are listening to most of the episodes and it would be really appreciative if you rated us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Amazon Music now. This is the first time, this is the first brand new episode that would drop on Amazon Music. So I just wanted to put that out there so you guys know that if you happen to pay for Amazon Music, guess what? There's podcasts on there too and we are on there. If you ever have any questions or comments about the show, you can always do it at bingeessentials at gmail.com in terms of reaching us. We will surely read it on the show. We like to be more interactive with our fans. It's a great way to keep the conversation going about past episodes. If you ever want to reach us on our other social media handles, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Binge Essentials. You should be able to find us. Find us on Instagram at Binge Essentials. If you want to find me on Instagram, you can do it at David Rocha Binge. You can find Romeo at rmora02. You can find me on Twitter at David Rocha Radio. And you can find Romeo at rmora1. Time to tease next week's episode. Next week, we're going to be doing Supernatural. That's right. Laura is coming back to the show. One of the more popular people that comes on Binge Essentials. And she just couldn't wait to talk about Supernatural with us. I know this is also one of Romeo's favorites. And we recorded this a while back now. But let me tell you, it was a lot of fun. We dove pretty deep. We didn't get too deep because if we did, it would be like a five-hour episode because there's over seasons of this darn show. Yeah, really. It just turns into its own podcast. So we have to pick and choose where to go with it. And I think where we went with it was a really great time. So with all that being said, I want to thank you guys for listening and catch you guys next week.